Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Well, hello and welcome to Ayers on the Road. You, you usual listeners, you good, consistent listeners are probably used to Linda saying that. She always starts off by saying, welcome to Ayers on the Road. But Linda is on the road, and she's on a part of the road today that doesn't lend itself to any kind of <laughs> connectivity. Uh, Linda's up in her hometown, up in Montpelier, Idaho, up in Bear Lake, where they're having the fair, the county fair. I'll tell you, if you've never been to some of these little county fairs, they're pretty wonderful. I mean, you know, you get to see 4-H projects and lambs and cows and rabbits and flowers and vegetables and fruit that people have grown. And uh, it's pretty cool. And the reason Linda's there is that she, as many of you know, has been championing this book written by her close childhood friend who died last year and who had been an author all her life but had never had anything published. And on her deathbed, literally, she said to Linda that her fondest wish was to have what she thought was the best novel she'd ever written, to have it published. And Linda has been on a mission since then. She found a publisher. She got it published. And now I'm a little jealous, I have to say, because she's spending a lot of time promoting that book by her friend Eve Dayton. Eve Crane Dayton. <clears throat> and um, she's doing everything, including going to the state fair, State Fair happens to be right close to the setting for this book up on a rural Idaho sheep farm. And the book is called My Seventh Summer. If you're interested in a story of growing up wild and free on a, on a little sheep ranch in Idaho, not very dissimilar from how Linda grew up, you ought to grab that book, My Seventh Summer. So having paid homage to Linda and what she's doing, <clears throat> let me turn to our subject for today on Ayers on the Road, which is another book. And it is something I'm really excited about. I, I don't know if I'm as excited about this book as Linda is about Eve's book, but I'm pretty excited because this is the first book of essays that I've ever done. And I'm actually just the editor. It's written by... 14 of the best authors, the best writers that I think we have in our community. Certainly the 14 best writers that I know. And let me tell you a quick background story on how the book came about. And then I want to share a little of it with you because it's on a really, really important subject. We've mentioned it on the show before, but never in very much depth. The name of the book is No Division Among You. The subtitle is Creating Unity in a Diverse Church. Um, I've been concerned, as so many of us have over the last several years, about how increasingly polarized we are as a country, as 
sometimes in, in our states, often in our communities, and even in our families and even in our church congregations. It's just a desperately concerning thing that we seem to be more divided in many ways on all those levels than I can ever remember before. Many of you know I've spent a lot of my life working in politics, which by definition is divided. But most of my life, there have always been middle grounds. There have been compromises. There have been moderates who've tried to pull both sides together and get things done. And we don't seem to have those people anymore, at least not in the numbers that we need them. And as a result, we're, we're having a tough time with our unity. And it's not that we want everyone to be the same. None of us, no one wants that. We want variety. We want diversity. But we want to learn how to disagree agreeably. And so this, the story of this book is that I was talking to the president of Deseret Book not long ago, last year. And we were talking about the need for a book that explored this subject. Why are we divided? Why can't we get together? What are the keys to bringing about greater unity, greater respect for each other's views? And something just hit us both, both together as we were talking that day, which is that one person, no matter who that person is, can write a book on diversity and on unity because your own views will come through no matter how hard you try. And we decided that very day that what we needed was a book of essays by, by a, you know, at least a dozen very diverse voices, united by their faith in Christ. We wanted, we wanted this to, the, the book to be centered on the gospel and on Christ, but divided in every other way, diverse racially, different economic structures, different professional structures. We we thought if we could get a really diverse group, different on almost everything except on their faith in Christ, and have each of them write an essay on their take on what's going on in terms of our lack of unity and the division and divisiveness and discord that seems to prevail today in everything from our news channels to our private conversations. And I was really intrigued by that idea. And I had the, the real opportunity that I'll always cherish to go out and ask some of the best writers I know who were also very diverse and different from each other, if they would like to contribute an essay on any aspect of unity that they chose any aspect, whether it was they could write metaphorically, they could write in terms of methods, they could try to solve the problem, or they could just try to explain the problem. And we, and I'm telling you, they came up with some marvelous, marvelous essays. And I'm going to get to some little excerpts from some of those in the show today. But let me just read you a little from the start of the book, because it'll give you the flavor of this book, No Division Among You. And by the way, it's in stores. The reason we're talking about it this week is it's just in stores for the first time. It's been there for a couple of days. And you can get it in any Deseret bookstore. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it on DeseretBook.com. It's, it's all over now. 
And again, no division among you. Here's the, the first page of the book. This is a book about unity and diversity. These 14 essayists represent both. They are diverse geographically, politically, racially, orientationally, economically, and every other ally that you can think of. But they are also allies united by their strong membership commitment to the church and to the gospel of Jesus Christ. As you, as a reader, progress through this book, you'll come to know each of these authors. You will agree and identify with some of them very quickly and very naturally, and it will be less so with others. But within this spirit of unity and diversity, please read and think about the ones you don't initially resonate with just as carefully and attentively as those with which you quickly identify. Each essay concludes with a short section called Discussion Questions and Personal Application. Here, each essayist poses some brief questions that will help us not only understand the aspects of unity and diversity that he or she has discussed, but also to use and apply them in our everyday lives. These concluding questions can also be useful if you have a book club in which to discuss them. So you get the idea of what we're going for here. I wrote a little foreword for the book, and I want to read you a little from it because I want you to have a feel for what this book is and what we hope it can do. It may be in some ways the most important topic there is right now, finding unity in our diversity. So it says, believers and church members, we have a problem. It is a problem that centers in the United States, and it may be at its worst in areas where church membership is most concentrated. It is a rapidly growing problem that has highlighted and, and that is was highlighted and exacerbated by the pandemic. The pandemic really did divide us in a lot of ways because it put us where we only were in touch with our own echo chamber. I'm just paraphrasing now, uh, but, it, but it, it's a contagious, even malignant problem because it feeds and multiplies on itself. It's a personal problem. It affects our outlooks, our attitudes, our mental health. It's an institutional problem that can weaken and undermine our churches, our wards, our stakes. And it is a spiritual problem because it can slow the work of God and even threaten to impede his eternal plan of happiness. It's the problem of division and of discord, dissension, dismissal, and disrespect that come with it. It is a unity problem. So you see where we're going with this. And then um, one thing I tried to do is, is give some little stories that was illustrate that would illustrate that. Um, Here's one of them. A friend of mine who knew about this book agreed that unity was a growing problem in the church, but certainly did not think of herself as being part of the issue. Then she had a troubling little personal experience. She had become acquainted with a young family that had just moved into her neighborhood, and she was very impressed with them. They were both bright and friendly and anxious to be involved and to contribute. She looked forward to getting to know them better. 
When she dropped by their home a couple of weeks later to deliver a small gift, she saw a political yard sign in their front yard that surprised her. It was for a candidate she thought of as extreme, even dangerous, and it worried her to the point that she didn't stop or leave the gift at all. She just drove on by, shaking her head. It was this small incident that made her realize that she was part of the problem. She had let one little yard sign cause her to judge this couple and to change rather instantly and dramatically what had been her favorable opinion of them. So you see, disagreement is not the problem. It's the judgment. It's the, it's the stereotyping. It's the categorizing. It's the wall building that goes with that disagreement that turns differences into destructive divisions and dissensions. So we're just hoping that this book helps us look at ourselves a little more closely and and really see that maybe some of the things that we are divided by are really not anywhere near as important as the things that ought to unite us as believers in Christ, who, by the way, is the one who said there shall be no division among you. Now, Linda and I wrote one of the essays, just one of the 14. And um, in that essay, we speak of these five Ds of discord, division, dissension, dismissal, and disrespect. But it's important to point out that diversity is not one of the five Ds. In fact, the only meaningful and profitable kind of unity exists across and within diversity. Now, that said, one of our collaborators, one of the essayists, we were working together. We were discussing our essays with each other as we wrote them. And he said an interesting thing. He said, you know, the word diversity is a huge trigger to a lot of people. Um, a lot of people feel like diversity leads to division. And so in many conservative circles, diversity is like a dirty word. And I wonder, he said, if we should change the word diversity for belonging or some other word that's better, not deal so much with the idea of diversity. What was interesting to me is that none of the other essayists disputed his observation, but what we decided was to fight it rather than to comply with it. I mean, the fact that conservative circles think one thing and liberal circles think another, that's the whole point. That's the whole problem and the whole reason that we all need to learn to think another way. And when we do, we will celebrate diversity as much as, and maybe even in the same breath, as unity. So in celebrating diversity and working for unity within diversity, we begin to really mirror the mind of God. And that's what the goal is here. Now, let me take a brief break. And when we come back for our last segment of the show, I want to introduce you to these 13 other authors who contributed to this book and tell you just a little about them, because I think 
that will whet your appetite. You'll see, wow, that is a diverse group. And I wonder how they each approach the problem of division and discord. So hang on, we'll be right back on Ayers on the Road. Welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And I'm back, not we're back, because Linda's traveling today. And this is Richard Iyer carrying on on Iyer's on the Road. And we're talking about a subject that's so serious, I have a hard time approaching it in any way that's even remotely lighthearted. It's the subject of division and polarization and people who, whether it's on political subjects or whether it's on interpretation of a church doctrine or principle or whether it's on just how we live, how we look at the world, we are divided in so many ways and in so many levels, and we need to get after that because it's the thing that can bring us down. It can bring us down as families. It can bring us down in a church. It can bring us down in a community. It can bring us down in a nation. And it's not that we shouldn't have disagreements. That's how democracy works. But when those disagreements become so acerbic and so bitter and so sure that we're right, and when we get in these little echo chambers where we all get our news from the same cable news channel or we all talk to each other about the same things and we all agree with each other in our little tribe and think that we're superior and right and and instantly dismiss people who are from another tribe or another news source or another ilk or we're conservative and they're liberal or we're this and they're that not only do we come divided in ways that are dangerous we we fail to learn from each other we fail to understand where others are coming from let me introduce you to the other 13 essayists. There's some of my best friends. Some are. There are some that are new to me, but most are people I know really well and that many of you will know. I'm just going to thumb through the book and quickly tell you that the first essay in the book is written by Maureen Proctor. Now, Maureen, as many of you know, is the founder and editor of Meridian Magazine. Uh, an online magazine that publishes every day. Linda and I write for it a lot. It goes out to literally tens, if not hundreds of thousands every day. And Maureen's a brilliant writer. She wrote the spoken word on, on music and the spoken word, the Tabernacle Choir, for 15 years. She's just a brilliant writer. And she she really knows how to get at the heart of this. One of her sentences is, when the Lord says, if you're not one, you are not mine. This is not a threat, but simply a reality of eternal law. The Lord's presence could never be a place of contention or division. You will, you will love Maureen's article. The next one is by Judge, <clears throat> excuse me, Judge Thomas B. Griffith. Tom is a retired federal judge 
on the circuit court, just one step below the, the Supreme Court. And here's the interesting thing about Tom. He was a student in my early morning seminary class back in McLean, Virginia, in the Washington, D.C. area. I'm not that much older than Tom, but I was a young teacher of early morning seminary. And Tom, who's a convert to the church, was, I'm going to have to say, the most brilliant kid in the class. And what a life he's lived. But as you might guess, his essay centers on political division and how, how much it has grown, how difficult it is, and how it is mirrored in many ways by our division within the church. I think you'll love Tom's article. The next one is by a really close friend, Kathy Clayton. Kathy and Whit Clayton have been friends of Linda and mine for a long time. We go out for sushi together on a regular basis. We've even we've even changed it into a verb. We go sushing. But Kathy's a brilliant writer, and Kathy likes metaphors. And the title of her article is Ward Choirs, a Unity Metaphor. <clears throat> and as you can, <clears throat> excuse me, as you can imagine, it's a great metaphor. I mean, we don't all sing the same notes in the choir. We sing parts. We sing harmony. There are some that have different timbre in their voices. It's what makes the choir great. If we all sang the same, it would be a boring choir. And how can we find that kind of unity among the diversity we have in the church? She she works that metaphor. And it really becomes exciting and interesting. The next essay, <clears throat> excuse me, is by, believe it or not, a, a, a friend of mine, a lifetime friend, a brilliant writer. I've known him since the fourth grade, Craig Peterson. And Craig and I still get together very often. We have, Craig has a place at Bear Lake near, near ours. But Craig's brilliant. And the great thing about Craig is he doesn't even know how brilliant he is. I've told him that often, but he has a PhD from Stanford University. He was the professor of the year at Utah State, taught economics. He was the mayor of Logan. He's just an amazing guy. And I love the title of his essay. It's called, And Unity Begat Synergy. And as you can guess, it's about when people are unified, synergy happens. Um, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. We get things done. We please the Lord. We bring to pass his purposes. And when we don't have the unity, we lose that synergy. Then we have, again, <clears throat> this is fun for me because I love these people. I love every one of these essayists. Adam Timothy. We, uh, Linda and I, this is more than you want to know, but Linda and I adopted, semi-adopted a, a young, a young 16-year-old from Bulgaria. Our, one of our daughters was a missionary there and essentially brought Eva home, Eva Kaliva, brought her home for a mission and she became part of our family. And a few years later, we lined her up with the friend, with the son of another good friend of ours, two other good friends of ours named Adam Timothy. And they ended up getting married. It's a beautiful thing when your daughter or your adopted daughter marries the son of a 
good friend, good friends. But Adam Timothy ended up getting his MBA from Oxford University, runs an aerospace firm on the East Coast, and he and his wife, Eva, are just absolutely marvelous. Eva Timothy, Eva Kaliva Timothy's an artist now, is very getting more and more famous around the church and doing exhibitions everywhere. And Adam is a fabulous writer. And his essay is called The Gardener King. And he's talking about King Benjamin and using that story as a way to teach us how to find unity in diversity. I got to hurry if I'm going to get through all these. So the next one is by Kimberly Titer, someone I don't know well, but I'm getting to know well. And I just think she's marvelous. She's a, she has a doctorate in psychology. She's a licensed psychologist and she's an adjunct professor at the University of Utah. My son, Talmadge, who knew Kimberly in New York City, said when he knew we were doing this book, you've got to have Timberly involved. She is this marvelous black woman who understands diversity from a perspective that none of the rest of your authors have. We reached out to Kimberly and she produced a beautiful thing. Kimberly also leads the gospel choir uh, in, in, uh, in some of the faith matters things that go on and the Bonner family, she's, she's remarkable. And, and she uses a metaphor of rocky ground and how the savior's metaphor of how things can only grow when we get rid of those rocks and, and find the diversity that we want. Then the next uh, one is by Ben Shalady, a great guy, just a, a new friend of mine. I'm just going to read you a little from his bio because you'll like this. Ben works as an honor code administrator and adjunct professor at BYU in Utah. He's the author of A Walk in My Shoes, Questions I Am Often Asked as a Gay Latter-day Saint. He is just, he again, brings another perspective, another slant of unity and diversity and can teach us a lot about what it is to be on the wrong end of a lot of misunderstandings. The next one is Nylon McBain. Nylon is just a great friend of our whole family, a wonderful friend of my oldest daughter. She's the founder of the Mormon Women Project. Uh, she's done so much about women in the church, including a book by that name, Women at Church, Magnifying LDS Women's Local Impact. And her, her the title of her essay is enough to make you want to read it, I think. The Juxtaposition of Unity and Sameness. The fact that unity and sameness are not the same thing. The, the next one is Mark Esty, good friend, a young man, a, someone I always admired his intellect. He's a scientist. He has degrees in mechanical engineering. And he lives in Florida and writes about divine diversity, how even in the Lord's family, even in the Lord's spirit world, diversity is existent, but is also unified. The next author is Bill Turnbull, such a good friend. Bill and Susan, we love them dearly. And Bill 
is the founder of Faith Matters, which is a powerful organization trying to give a voice to very diverse members of the church who have different ideas and who want to share those ideas with each other. And Bill is very personal in his essay. He writes about his own spiritual experience and how that experience opened his mind to diversity and to appreciating other people. The next one is by Liz Hammond, such a good friend, um, eminent physician, pathologist, um, trained at Harvard Medical School, uh, many years a professor at the University of Utah. And she writes, her title of her essay is One Heart and One Mind, Drawing from the Scripture. And, and being quite prescriptive, if I can use that word with a doctor, about how we can come together more and be more united. The next one is by Melanie Tagg, who I don't know very well, but I'm loving what I'm getting to know about her. She's a person who lives in Loudoun County, Virginia, where there was tremendous um, division on political issues, including LGBTQ community issues and so on. And she decided to do something about it and set up some school board meetings and other ways to reach out and pull people together. And it had a remarkable effect on the community. And she tells that story. And her essay is called An Optimistic Road from Contention to Unity. And then the last one, last last but not least, and we, I think we had Ronell's the final essay because it's so powerful. Ronell Huff, H-U-G-H, is an MBA. He's a business guy. He's the founder and CEO of, of a couple of companies. He's a, a black man who has become able to see things from a perspective that we all need to understand better. And he really attacks the heart of the issue. The title of his issue of his essay is Religion, How We Use It Makes a Difference. Talking pretty bluntly about how some of us use our religious views to try to make a point that puts others down or that diminishes their perspective or their argument on things. So I hope that intrigues you. I mean, I'm going to go back and read some of these again just because I love them so much. Let me conclude today by just reading you one last part from the book. And, um, oh, I should mention, too, that uh, there are questions at the end of every single essay, little discussion questions. So if you read it as a group or if you read it with a friend or just if you read it on your own, you can ask yourself these questions because we got to probe ourselves. It's not enough to have theory about unity and getting past division. We have to internalize it. And these questions help us to do that. It's a great thing to do it in a book club or in a family group. Read these essays and discuss them. And that'll bring us to where we want to be. So here's a little conclusion. Um, Harvard, Harvard, Harvard President Lawrence Bacow gave a speech on how to argue. He said, be quick to understand and slow to judge. 
That does not mean being unwilling to disagree. It means arguing in a way that celebrates and strengthens our mission. He then quoted Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs' argument for arguing, saying we ought to argue out of a desire to discover the truth, not out of cantankerousness or a wish to prevail over our fellows not our own envy and contentiousness and ambition for victory. When we argue for the sake of the latter, what is at stake is not truth, but power. And the result is that both sides actually suffer. It's a win-lose mentality. If I win, I lose. But if I win, I also lose because in diminishing you, I diminish myself. And so he says this, I love this little quote. May we all find ways to resist the lure of righteousness, to resist the lure of moral certitude. May we embrace the possibility of transcendence through argument. May we learn to disagree agreeably. Thanks for listening today. I as you can tell by my voice, I'm excited about this book. It's a subject that is hugely important right now. I hope you'll participate in the dialogue, and I hope the book will help. No division among you, creating unity in a diverse church. That's it for ours on the road today. Linda will certainly be back next week, and we'll see you a week from now on the next episode of Ours on the Road. 